0: I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. In her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Alexis de Tocqueville, Democracy in America. Global and National Day of Repentance, White House Executive Summary. At critical moments in American history, the Revolutionary War and the Civil War, Presidents George Washington and Abraham Lincoln sought God's miraculous intervention, helping turn the tide in those wars and save America. At the height of the Civil War in 1863, Lincoln called for several days of national repentance. Many people observed these days in prayer and fasting, repenting for personal and national sins. Two days later, Confederate General Stonewall Jackson was fatally wounded in a freak accident by one of his own guards. Two months later, the South lost the Battle of Gettysburg. In God's mercy, the war soon ended. Having seen how many prayed, fasted, and repented, God restored America. And Lincoln, often named in polls as one of America's best presidents, went on to free the African-American slaves, ending the scourge of slavery. Today, America is engaged in even a greater civil war that threatens the destruction of the very fabric and foundation of our nation. Now at a time when war, and even nuclear war, is a threat, our nation is deeply divided and facing a perfect storm of military, economic, geophysical threats, and man-made disasters— And while global deep state forces are seeking to topple the presidency of Donald Trump, faith and political leaders worldwide are urging the president to call for a global and national day of repentance and deliver a Lincoln-esque proclamation from the Oval Office, which will open a globally televised and live-streamed event at a time of the president's choosing as America's faith leaders are ready, willing, and able to move forward. Top officials at several denominations, paraministries, and universities, along with pastors across denominational lines and prayer intercessory groups globally, have expressed their support for this catalytic initiative. Having met and prayed with global political and ministerial leaders at the White House, the United Nations, within U.S. Congress, and the Knesset, with everyone acknowledging the great need for it and no one hesitating to support it, there is now a wave of overwhelming support for many nations for a global and national day of repentance. We are in a most critical period, says Jonathan Cahn, the New York Times best-selling author of The Harbinger and the Paradigm. America has been racing from the ways of God and following the blueprint of the fall of ancient Israel. The revelation of the harbinger is that the same prophetic signs of judgment that appeared in the last days of ancient Israel have now reappeared and with precision on American soil. The revelation of the paradigm is that we now stand in a window of time, as was given ancient Israel, in which we have the chance to return to God. If we do so, the judgment will be held back and restoration will come. If we do not, We will continue on a race, not only of apostasy, but to judgment. The hour could not be more critical than it is now. Paul Maguire, the best-selling co-author with Troy Anderson of The Babylon Code and Trumpocalypse, says the global and national day of repentance is the single most important thing that America can do. This is a sacred and prophetic moment. The Global and National Day of Repentance is the follow-up to what the Pilgrims and Puritans did, and we believe God has been waiting for this moment. As the president joins the church in taking a stand for the Global and National Day of Repentance, the Global Strategic Alliance is inviting political and faith leaders from around the globe to attend the Global and National Day of Repentance. Call on God to accomplish mission impossible. President Trump and Vice President Mike Pence, we believe you've been raised up by God at one of the most prophetically significant moments in history to lead and protect our country and return America to its Judeo-Christian foundations. You've accomplished a great deal over the last year and a half. The recent summit with North Korea to negotiate denuclearization, The historic tax cut, record stock market, booming economy, and all-time lows in Hispanic and African-American unemployment, confirmation of conservative Neil Gorsuch and Judge Brett Kavanaugh championing and signing legislation to protect the lives of unborn children, decimating the Islamic State caliphate, boosting defense spending to protect America, strengthening our alliance with Israel becoming the first American president to visit the Western Wall, and moving our embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. You are men of your word. During the campaign, your motto was to make America great again. We want to help ensure that you can carry out this promise. We believe the secret to making America great again is by making America godly again. And the first step is to call for a global and national day of repentance. With God's help, you can accomplish Mission Impossible and all the important things that God has put in your hearts to do for America and the world. As this day is birthed, we believe our nation's united cry will be heard by heaven and this day will become a turning point in American history. By leading America and the world and participating in the Global and National Day of Repentance, America will be making a global declaration that we are seeking God's hand to be on all nations who seek His sovereign will and welcome His ways. With God's help and power, together, we will call forth America's destiny. It is only with the great strength and wisdom of God and through our courage and trust in God that we will accomplish what is right and just. By leading and participating in the global and national day of repentance, America will bring God's blessings upon our nation and have a global impact. In doing this, we believe God will equip us to accomplish the purposes of his will for his glory. In your inaugural address on January 20th, 2017, you said, there should be no fear. We are protected, and we will always be protected. We will be protected by the great men and women of our military and law enforcement. And most importantly, we will be protected by God. However, there is an if attached to that last phrase. God has protected this nation in the past, is protecting it now, but we need to act now to ensure his continued protection. Ancient Israel learned the hard way that disobeying his commands eventually led to disastrous defeat and exile as they lost his protection. We see this in Nehemiah 1, 7 through 9, and Acts chapter seven, verse 42. In the past 100 years, we have as a nation frequently gone against his instructions. We've often placed him in the background. We've looked to our own supposed strength instead of honoring him, as did the founders of this nation. How do we ensure his continued protection, his providence? He tells us right in the Bible. Scripture reveals how to gain and maintain his immediate and ongoing support. The Biblical Basis for Making America Great Again In the 1600s, the pilgrims who settled America entered a covenant with God based on one that God made with ancient Israel. This covenant is summarized in Deuteronomy 28, listing both the blessings and curses for obeying or disobeying God. Deuteronomy 28 is a detailed list of economic, geopolitical, military, societal, and agricultural blessings or curses. In short, if ancient Israel obeyed God, God promised to raise them up above all the nations on earth. The pilgrims entered that same covenant with God, and despite America's imperfections, God raised America up above every nation on earth, economically, politically, geopolitically, scientifically, and technologically, because God's people in America endeavored to fulfill that covenant. When President Trump uses the words, making America great again, those words are congruent with God's word. In other words, there is a theological basis for them. In Deuteronomy 28, 1, God promised His people, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. Since the time of the pilgrims, God has had a special place for America that required America to be great, not only economically, geopolitically, and militarily, but great in Christian virtue, moral integrity, and goodness, which is love in action. America has been destined by God to be a light of contrast to the nations, leading the way into the future, not in fear and obedience to a totalitarian state, that the book of Revelation warns is coming, but America is to lead the world with economic, technological, scientific, and military might in a society based on the reality of God's eternal love. America is to use its power to function as a servant king, which means it doesn't use its power to bully its citizens or other nations, but like Jesus Christ, it uses its power to set men, women, and nations free. God's providence in America. The miracles throughout American history confirm the truth of God's plan for the United States. Also humbly seeking God's providence applies to nations as well as to individuals. George Washington praying in the snow at Valley Forge for God's help and wisdom prior to the successful attack on enemy troops at Trenton is a classic example. With increasing deaths from frostbite among his untrained underpaid troops, Washington crossed the Delaware River by moonlight on Christmas Day, surprising and defeating over a thousand Hessian mercenaries while losing only two men. Washington later said, The singular interpositions of providence in our feeble condition were such as could scarcely escape the attention of the most unobserving, while the perseverance of the armies of the United States, through almost every possible suffering and discouragement for the space of eight long years, was little short of a standing miracle. Another display of God's providence is seen in the victorious battle of New Orleans ending the War of 1812. General Andrew Jackson's men killed or wounded 2,045 British while there were only 71 American casualties. He later wrote, It appears that the unerring hand of providence shielded my men from the shower of balls, bombs, and rockets, when every ball and bomb from our guns carried with them a mission of death. Jackson said to an aide, I was sure of success, for I knew that God would not give me provisions of disaster, but signs of victory. The bloody, horrific Civil War provides another example of God's providence. During the war, President Lincoln proclaimed three days of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. The April 30th, 1863 day of humiliation, fasting, and prayer reads in part, the awful calamity of Civil War may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. We have forgotten God. We have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too proud to pray to the God that made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins. Time for a national and global day of repentance. The words in President Lincoln's proclamation speak to us today. Are we too self-sufficient? Have we thought that our blessings have been produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own? Are we too proud to pray to the God that made us? In God we trust is still our national motto. Seeking God is not a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength. President Trump and Vice President Pence, you can lead in the tradition of 10 earlier presidents to call for a day, not just of prayer and fasting, but repentance. By doing so, you are ensuring that not just our military and law enforcement, but God Himself will protect us. Scripture is clear that God will protect us when we acknowledge that our human ways fall short compared to His glory, Romans 3 verse23. Second Chronicles 7:14 says, "If my people, who are called by my name will humble themselves." and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Today, more than ever, we face the growing possibility of war, and even nuclear or EMP attack, trade warfare, terrorist attacks, cyber warfare, mass school shootings, and more, on top of deep division and rebellion within our nation. God's hand of protection is needed. Benefits of National Repentance John Adams may have been one of our most devout presidents. Small physically, he was large spiritually, as revealed in his diary at Harvard University, in letters to his wife Abigail, and in his action years later in Congress as our second president. On July 12, 1775, in a letter to Abigail explaining the Continental Congress decision to declare a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer, Adams wrote this, We have appointed a Continental Fast. Millions will be upon their knees at once before their great Creator, imploring His forgiveness and blessing, His smiles on American counsel and arms. In 1777, Dr. Benjamin Bush wrote in his diary regarding President John Adams, In speaking of the probable issue of the war, he said to me in Baltimore in the winter of 1777, We shall succeed in our struggle, provided we repent of our sins and forsake them. And then he added, I will see it out or go to heaven in its ruins. In 1798, our former ally, France, threatened war with the United States. In the chaos after the Bastille and Reign of Terror, French privateers ignored treaties. By 1798, they had seized nearly 300 American ships, bound for British ports. The French foreign minister demanded millions of dollars in bribes for them to leave America's ships alone. Refusing the bribes, President Adams then followed scripture using spiritual warfare to protect the nation. President Adams called for a day of solemn humiliation, fasting and prayer on March 23, 1798, and again on March 6, 1799. He understood this truth from Proverbs 11, verse 8, The righteous is delivered from trouble, and it comes to the wicked instead. In his declaration for that day of solemn humiliation, fasting, and prayer, President Adams listed key benefits to a strengthened nation from this traditional American practice. He stated, That our country may be protected from all the dangers which threatens it, that our civil and religious privileges may be preserved and violate, that the American people may be united in those bonds of amity and mutual confidence and inspired with that vigor and fortitude by which they have in times past so highly distinguished and by which they have obtained such invaluable advantages. What were the other benefits of these two days of seeking God's protection through national repentance? War with France was averted, without firing a shot, and the Second Great Awakening began to sweep America. Building with Untempered Mortar As a world-class developer, President Trump, we're sure that your buildings were constructed with steel. But nonetheless, you understand that building a wall with stones or bricks requires proper mortar. The mortar must be strong. The Lord uses this mortar analogy in the Old Testament when he chastises his people for following false prophets. That is what Ezekiel chapter 13, verses 10 through 14 says. It states, Because indeed, because they have seduced my people, saying, Peace, when there is no peace, And one builds a wall, and they plaster it with untempered mortar. Say to those who plaster it with untempered mortar that it will fall. There will be flooding, rain, and you, O great hailstones, shall fall, and a stormy wind shall tear it down. Surely, when the wall has fallen, will it not be said to you, Where is the mortar with which you plastered it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will cause a stormy wind to break forth in my fury, and there shall be a flooding rain in my anger and great hailstones and fury to consume it. So I will break down the wall you have plastered with untempered mortar and bring it down to the ground, so that its foundations will be uncovered. It will fall, and you shall be consumed in the midst of it. Then you shall know that I am the Lord." The proper mortar for any person or society is the Word of God. That Word is eternal. It doesn't change. Over the past few decades, our nation has drifted away from God's Word. Popular culture urges us to do what feels good. All is relative. There is no heaven or hell. The school shootings point out how our children are paying a horrific price. The mortar that held our nation together, the Word of God, is crumbling. Thus, our wall is increasingly made with untempered mortar, increasingly flimsy whitewash over a crumbling wall. We need to strengthen the mortar. Prayer, fasting, and repentance by His people, called by His name, refreshes the mortar. Our morality is crumbling, even as we face great earthquakes, supervolcanoes, deadly hurricanes, massive floods, out-of-control firestorms, financial upheavals, school and church shootings, hatred and revolt across America. God's hand is needed. So it is time for us to pray and call on God. Call on believers in God in this nation to refocus on Him with a day not just of prayer and fasting, but with repentance. President Trump, we need your favor. Proverbs 19:12 says, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion, but his favor is like the dew on the grass. We know this, the Lord will do his part. As he sees his people, called by his name, turning from their sins, he will once again, will forgive our personal and national sins and will heal America. It will confirm your inaugural address. God will protect us. God seeks restoration before judgment. The theme running throughout the Bible is God's plan to bring his wayward sons and daughters back to himself. Whether he's dealing with nations, houses of worship, or individuals, God always seeks reconciliation and restoration before he resorts to judgment. In the book of Joel, the prophet recognized that the day of judgment by God was at hand. His response was to call a convocation, a solemn assembly of all people to repentance. What led to the need for this solemn assembly was an honest inventory of personal and national sin. The purposes of this assembly include a personal encounter with God, soul-searching repentance and seeking god's direction a time of fasting and suspending of carnal appetites and favor of the spiritual sincere heart contrition to the point of tears and mourning over what has been lost and seeking the favor of god and a reprieve from imminent judgment the last times our nation saw fit to call a solemn assembly was during world war one under president woodrow wilson and at the height of the Civil War during the presidency of Abraham Lincoln. Today, the battle is being waged not over geography, but over right and wrong, truth and error, virtue and vice. It is a battle for the hearts and minds of our young people, for the values and virtue of our heritage, and for the faith and freedom of mankind. It is a battle that is being waged not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, Against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 tells us this: Throughout history, there have been men who understood the times, the men of Issachar in First Chronicles 12:32. And they invited God to use the solemn assembly, as we read in Joel 1 verse 14, to bring the nation back from the edge of the abyss. From pre-revolutionary war times to as recently as the Florida hurricanes and the Las Vegas mass shooting tragedy, presidents and governors of our nation have proclaimed days of prayer, fasting, and repentance as they called upon God to deliver our nation from war, pestilence, and calamities. Today, there is an overwhelming consensus among Christian leaders that the direction in which our country is headed is diametrically opposed to the will of God. Political correctness mandates calling evil good and good evil. Isaiah 5.20 says, Spiritual indifference, compromise, and backsliding are rampant. Therefore, the spiritual walls of this nation are in ruins and our economy is in jeopardy. In recent decades, God has allowed us to experience the adverse consequences of the choices we're making, both as a nation and as individuals, choices being made without consideration of God's Word, His will, and His ways. This in turn has opened the door for the enemy to severely undermine the Judeo-Christian foundations of America through removal of the Bible and prayer from public schools legislation of the killing of our unborn children, loss of Judeo-Christian values such as loving your neighbor as yourself, divorce, family disintegration and the proliferation of fatherless children, drugs, alcoholism and pornography that promotes the destruction of the family, rape, sex trafficking and the objectification of women and children that distorts God's gift of sexuality, The rewriting of our history books to remove the truth of the factual influences of God and the Bible in our early American history. Racism and violence in the schools and streets of America, including the targeting of our police officers and innocent Americans of all racial and ethnic groups. Militant Islamic groups, not to be confused with the many peaceful and law-abiding Muslims in America and domestic terrorism repression and censorship of Christian speech and the supplanting of Creator God with the theory of evolution, along with the systematic replacement of Christianity with a religion of secular humanism, which defines Christian beliefs as hate speech, circumventing the Bill of Rights that provides people with freedom of speech and religion. History demonstrates that nations proceeding along this course cannot long endure. The obvious Biblical parallel is Nehemiah grieving for the sins of Israel and petitioning the king for permission to return to Jerusalem to rebuild its walls and restore its burnt gates. More than ever before, we need to repent for the sins of our nation. Following the example of righteous Abraham, we must repent pray and petition God to preserve our nation. We do not call for this repentance before God because we believe in any way that we as Christian leaders are morally or spiritually superior to any other group of people or individuals. We recognize that we are sinners before God and that all of us have been born with a fallen nature. In addition, we understand that the Bible states judgment, must begin at the house of God, or among those who claim to be God's people. And therefore, we must be the first to repent of our sins before calling others to repentance. This repentance must include some of the primary sins committed by Americans that still impact the nation today. Although we didn't physically commit these sins, as Christians— God calls us to engage in intercessory prayer in which we come to God and ask Him to forgive our nation's past sins. While America, like other nations on earth, has committed many sins, one of the most important sins that the United States committed was the sin of slavery in which men and women, many of whom claimed to be Christians, purchased men and women from Africa to be their slaves, exploiting them and treating them cruelly. We must ask God's forgiveness and African Americans alive today who are still suffering from the impact of the sins of Americans several generations ago. At this historic moment in time, we remember the words of the great African American minister, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., when he said, I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Through humble acknowledgement and the deepest of sorrows for the abominable sin of slavery, we ask our African-American brothers and sisters to forgive us for what our forefathers did and what we have done by continuing to empower any form of racism. Let us say it plainly. Forgive us, for we have sinned. And let our repentance be accompanied with the zeal of Dr. King Who had a dream and vision for America and its future. As we humble ourselves before the infinite personal God of the universe, who is both loving, forgiving, righteous, and holy, let us also come before him with perhaps the greatest foundational sin in the history of the United States. The sad reality that many Americans who claim to be Christians entered into numerous treaties with Native Americans that were later broken leading to the slaughter of Native Americans. Although many pilgrims and Puritans lived peacefully with the Native Americans, even sharing meals and celebrations together, as times passed, others, many of whom called themselves Christians, came and entered various land treaties with Native American tribes. Many of these treaties were violated to take the land, resulting in the deaths of countless Native Americans Tragically, as the Bible references, their blood still cries from the ground. We need to ask God's forgiveness over the sins of America's ancestors regarding their treatment of Native Americans. In the Ten Commandments, God commanded, Thou shalt not kill, or Thou shalt not murder, which references unlawful killing or blood guilt. Abortion is a violation of this commandment. Since the U.S. Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion, over 60 million abortions have been performed. According to polls, the number of evangelical Christian women who had abortions is about the same as the number of non-Christian women. Also, the sin of abortion is not exclusively a woman's because it requires a male for the female to become pregnant. As such, in every abortion, There are always two people responsible. Other large nations have performed more abortions than America. Yet America at one time claimed to be a Christian nation, and as such we are responsible to God for the sin of abortion. Not only do we need to ask God for forgiveness for more than 60 million abortions, We also need to ask forgiveness for failing to provide solutions and alternatives to women who sought an abortion out of desperation or fear. Further, we need to ask forgiveness for the failure of Christian pulpits to educate their congregations and speak up about the issue of abortion. The blood of unborn babies cries out from the land in America in ways that we may not fully comprehend. We need to ask God to deliver us from a death mentality that will inevitably lead to mass euthanasia of the elderly and to open our eyes to a life mentality in which all is to be celebrated as God's special creation. We also acknowledge that as the church and as Christian leaders, that we have sinned before God and our nation by failing to visibly demonstrate the love and reality of God we have failed to communicate faithfully the truth of God's word to the nation. God is love and the greatest biblical commandments are to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. We must ask forgiveness for failing to demonstrate this love in countless ways, including empowering hatred in those we have judged in our own self-righteousness as being sinners when we ourselves are sinners, save through no merit of our own. We need to ask forgiveness for hating Pointing the finger, mocking and ridiculing all those whom we deem to be sinners, such as those in the LGBTQ community, while often in self-righteousness, ignoring our own sins. We believe in the precepts of God's word and that God has a divine plan for human sexuality. As Christians, we choose to endeavor to be faithful in living out and communicating God's divine plan and ask God to forgive us for accommodating the spirit of this age. But we also ask for God's forgiveness and the forgiveness of all those we have offended and alienated by failing to speak the truth in love, forgetting that we are sinners and that as we have cast stones at those we have called sinners— we as Christians have engaged in the very things we accuse others of, such as adultery, fornication, and abortion. In 1 Peter 4.17, states that judgment must begin at the house of God. And so we repent of our hypocrisy and actions before engaging in this solemn gathering. The Bible lays out the parameters for a solemn assembly, a national corporate time given to soul-searching and self-examination, A time of repentance and confession, not just for individual sin, but for corporate sin. Corporate sin, beginning with the church, can only be confessed and repented of when the corporate body comes together to ask God for forgiveness. Fasting is required, contrition is expected, and humility is essential. A time for the church to step into its priestly role of confessing for the nation's sins that could invite God's wrath and judgment. As the church stands in the gap for its cities, God will send revival and visit the unrighteous on behalf of the righteous. At this point, any solution other than calling a nationwide call to prayer, fasting, and repentance will be like moving the deck chairs around on the Titanic. It will change the superficial outward appearance of a ship clearly headed for destruction. National restoration can only come through national repentance. If America would turn to God, if we would repent of our sin, if we would come back to that place of blessing and prosperity and protection and healing, if we would come together as a nation, the whole world would have to say that this is God. This is what Anne Graham Lotz, the daughter of world-renowned evangelist Billy Graham, stated. Only God could bring us together So it would be for the glory of his great name. I pray that he will bring himself glory through revival and not through judgment. Throughout history, all the great revivals began with this idea, repent and turn back to God. Throughout the Bible, God makes it clear that failure to obey this command will result in judgment. On many occasions in the Old Testament, the same cycle repeated, blessing, disobedience, warning, judgment, and repentance. The Old Testament records no less than 12 revival moments. While each of these revivals is very different from the others, there are four factors preceding each revival that they all hold in common. They include a tragic declination, Every Old Testament revival was preceded by a period of moral and spiritual decline among God's people. The revival of Exodus 32 and 33, for example, was preceded by the construction and worship of a golden calf statue. Number two, a righteous judgment from God. Without exception, Old Testament revivals were also preceded by some form of righteous judgment from God. While some of these judgments were immediate and final, Resulting in deaths among the wicked, others were gracious and remedial, resulting in brokenness, prayer, and repentance. Number three, the raising up of an immensely burdened leader or leaders, such as Moses, Samuel, David, Nehemiah, and Joel. In each case, God himself raised up a leader who was deeply concerned for the moral and spiritual needs of his people. And number four an extraordinary action the people were required to undertake. While this action varies from revival to revival, the most common action taken was that of a solemn assembly. Skyline Church Pastor Jim Garlow agrees that the global and national day of repentance is of paramount importance for the future of America and the world. We are calling the church to repent for its failure to be the church so much of the time, says Garlow, a member of President Trump's Evangelical Advisory Board. We're in an era where we need to see people stand boldly on the truth of God's word and proclaim it because what we do is condemn unbelievers to complete destruction if we do not point the way of renewal of their hearts with the power of the gospel. So I pray we have a whole generation raised up out of a day of repentance to ignite awakening. Rabbi Jonathan Bernis, host of The Jewish Voice with Jonathan Bernis' television show, agrees that a day of repentance is urgently needed. That would be one of the greatest steps we could take as a nation to restore the favor of God, Bernus says. The global and national day of repentance comes as many faith leaders believe America faces judgment, but that God is raising up leaders to guide the nation and the world to repentance and hope. The time has come for each of us, We have been called to seize the moment. We are at the threshold of the greatest move of God in our time. For that to happen, however, we must be men of action, men who are ready to respond by faith to what God has initiated. As Paul said, we must be very careful then how we live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Millions of faithful Christians have been praying for this coming move of God And it is appropriate that God has brought all of us together for this moment in time.